Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is LifeInNaples.net. We have a terrific show today, including special guest Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Rick Morton is the vice president of engagement at the Lifeline Children's Services. He visited Ukraine 26 times. We talked to him about his experience and orphans in Ukraine. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of several books. His latest is called No Problem. I just finished it this week. It's a terrific murder mystery located in Washington, D.C. It is April the 25th, and on this day in 1990, the crew of the U.S. Space Shuttle Discovery placed the Hubble Space Telescope, a long-term space-based observatory, into lower orbit around Earth. The space telescope, uh, conceived in the 1940s, designed in the 70s, and built in the 80s, was designed to give astronomers an unparalleled view of the solar system, the galaxy, and the universe. Initially, Hubble's operators suffered a setback when a lens aberration was discovered, but a repair mission by spacewalking astronauts in December 1993 successfully fixed the problem, and Hubble began sending back its first breathtaking images of the universe, Free of atmospheric distortions, Hubble had a resolution 10 times that of ground-based observatories. About the size of a bus, the telescope is solar-powered and uh, orbits the Earth once every 97 minutes. Among its many astronomical achievements, Hubble has been used to record a comet's collision with Jupiter, provide a direct look at the surface of Pluto, visit distant galaxies, gas clouds, and black holes, and see billions of years into the universe's past. Unbelievable. Great story about it. I, I love the stories about uh, space advancement and development. Uh, the latest right now is the shadow of uh, Jupiter's biggest moon, Ganymede, dominates the view in a magnificent new photo from NASA's Juno mission, Space.com reported. You can probably visit Space.com to uh, see the image. It's just spectacular. I found it, I believe it was on uh, Newsmax.com. The view was created based on what the JunoCam uh, instrument beamed home to Earth during the mission's 40th close-by pass in the giant planet on February the 25th. At the time, Juno was flying about 44,000 miles from the clouds atop uh, Jupiter. Now, put in perspective, Jupiter is about 44 million miles from Earth and uh, goes around the sun about once every 12 years, if you could believe that. Juno is on a long-term mission to learn more about the planet's weather and dynamics. Scientists are now able to obtain a better understanding of how large exoplanets might behave in the solar systems by having the ability to study Jupiter from up close, according to Space.com. NASA cautions, however, that even though Juno is currently in good condition, it's expected to have a limited lifespan due to the amount of radiation the planet emits. Such an interesting and fascinating story. It just raises the question about these uh, these extraterrestrial creatures, perhaps, uh, visiting our planet, UFOs. It's an unbelievable story that uh, yet to develop as well. <clears throat> 
while publicly traded real estate investment firm has announced plans to acquire the iconic uh, Inn on Fifth in downtown Naples. Uh, Pebblebrook Hotel Trust, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, announced its intentions to acquire the uh, AAA Four Diamond 119 Room Inn for $156 million. Deals expected to close by June, if not sooner. The resort property includes two buildings that sit across the street from one another off Swank Fifth Avenue South. Combined, they have 43 spacious suites, most of which are being in the newer and even more exclusive club-level building. Uh, that's on the uh, like south side of the building, or I guess uh, west side of the building, or the Fifth Avenue South. As for the main building, it has 87 guest rooms and suites with more than 10,000 square feet of recently uh, renovated meeting space, a 3,600-square-foot outdoor pool deck, and a day spa and fitness center. The original hotel includes more than 21,000 square feet of high-profile, ground-level retail and commercial space, which includes uh, Trilux, uh, one of my favorites, Ocean Prime Restaurant, as well as uh, upscale retailer uh, Vineyard Vines as uh, International Luxury res- Residential Space Sales Brokerage. Current owner is Phil McCabe, a local hotelier and developer, opened the inn decades ago in 1998 to be exact. He added the club-level suites around 2012. Over the years, the property has seen millions of improvements, uh, keeping it fresh and competitive. The Naples area rapid growth is clearly one of the driving factors in the trust decision to uh, purchase the property. Certainly is a lot of buying going on. People have an interest in uh, coming to Naples and investing. It's a good thing. Well, Disney stocks have tumbled so far in 2022 as the company waded into Florida's political arena while Republicans in the state voted to revoke the firm's self-governing status in the central part and portion of the state. The stock hit an all-time high in March 2021, trading at $200 a share, but since then it's dropped to more than a third to about $119 per share as of April the 22nd, putting the media conglomerate on track to its lowest close in 17 months. As of April 19th, Disney stock reached $131.90, but since then has dropped more than $12 a share on Friday. The firm has faced targeted criticism in recent weeks after issuing a statement opposing the bill backed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis that prohibits teachers to instruct on sexual orientation and gender identity in children in third grade or, third grade or younger or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with the state standards. Disney at the time criticized the bill and affirmed its support for LGBT uh, movement. As a result, some parents say they would organize a boycott of the company's products, movies, theme parks, and shows, and they've certainly done that. Traffic has fallen off substantially. On Thursday, the Florida House of Representatives voted to pass the bill, which would revoke the company's special governing and tax status in Central Florida, where it operates a 25,000-square-acre parcel of land that includes Walt Disney World and other tourist attractions. The Senate also made the same vote the day earlier. DeSantis now has the option of signing the bill. I think he's already signed it now in recent weeks, and the governor has accused Disney Corporation Office of adopting a woke ideological framework, adding that Disney is selling its reputation when you have companies that are made off a fortune off of being fam- family-friendly and catering to families and young kids, they should understand that parents of young kids do not want them injected in their kids' kindergarten classroom. Uh, the Epic Times contacted uh, Disney Corporation 
and uh, they made no comment. Now, hopefully, other corporations will learn from Disney's experience. Here's what corporations should be doing, abiding by state and local laws, and by one could add moral principles, treat their employees well regardless of said employees' sex, race, sexual orientation, gender identification, religion, or country of national origin, provide a good product or service, and make money for the shareholders. That's it. That's all the corporations should do. Focus on products and services, not politics. As Trump said, everything woke turns to crap. And, as Michael Jordan said, hey, conservatives buy tennis shoes too, or or basketball shoes too. So, uh, stick to your knitting. Stay in your lane, corporations. Uh, And uh, Disney right now is paying a big price for what they're doing. Well, Tina Diskovich has uh, fighting for parents' rights since she was elected to the Brevard County, Florida School Board in 2016, but her mission is now shared by 85,000 other mothers in 34 states who joined Moms for Liberty and who are now show up at school board meetings to hold officials accountable. These moms are also running for school board spots and other local offices, and they're winning. They've honed their skills by scouring websites and requesting public records to uncover the radical sexual and racial agenda being pushed into public schools across the land. Our mission is to save America by empowering parents to stay up for their, stand up for their parental rights, Deskovich uh, said on Friday edition of SiriusXM's Breitbart News Daily. We are moms and we are concerned about the future of our country and our children, she said. Moms for Liberty only has been around for 16 months, and it's already having a nationwide impact. They're confronting schools about books for the youngest children with explicit sexual content. They're fighting school curriculums that push critical race theory. She also said that moms in North Florida are fighting back the sex ed curriculum that kids have been exposed to is just over-the-top ridiculous, she said. They've had condoms that they were teaching them how to use them on objects, the parents access the curriculum through a public record request. When they found out what's going on, they're just shocked, Deskovich said. You saw in Loudoun County, Virginia, where a child, a girl was actually raped in a bathroom by a boy in a dress. Parents are not going to stand for it. They will not throw their children to the wolves. The coronavirus uh, pandemic really put parental rights in the spotlight, she said, as parents got to look at what the children were really learning remotely. I think the combination of everything the parents saw they saw kids uh, that were not learning and that they were getting a quality, not getting a quality education, she said. And when they saw these things streamed into their home, they decided to take action. Uh, word continues to spread about what these moms are doing, including through interviews with hostile media. We went on Meet the Press, CNN, you name it, she said. They invite us and we go. We're not scared. They abuse, they abuse us. They beat us up, she said, but we're going to go because we find people say, wait, I agree with her, she is right, and they join us in droves, and so we put ourselves out there. We're pretty tough women, we take it, and we know it's going to bring uh, the right people to us, she said. She said, Moms for Liberty, their goal is to have a chapter in every county in the United States, and that's more than 3,200 battle fight grounds to fight on. You can, if you want to find out more about this movement, you can go to momsforliberty.org. That's momsforliberty.org. Uh, I encourage you to do so. Now the uh, uh, Department of Justice is trying to label these women as uh, domestic terrorists. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. momsforliberty.org. 
Well, Twitter is re- reportedly re-examining SpaceX and Tesla CEO Elon Musk's $43 billion offer to buy the big tech company after it revealed that it's now secured $46.5 billion for a potential buyout. According to the Wall Street Journal, Twitter's already been is ready to reject the offer, but will take a new look at it after the business magnet uh, revealed his filing with the SEC showing that he has lined up financing for the offer. The financing includes $22 billion, uh, which will come from his own equities. People familiar with the matter told the Wall Street Journal that the revelations make it more likely for Twitter to seek uh, to negative the offer with Musk. The situation is fast moving, and it's still far from guaranteed that Twitter will do so. In fact, uh, Musk met with the Twitter board yesterday. I was hoping we'd see uh, some sort of result from that. Haven't seen anything yet, but uh, this is fast moving. Who would believe that the richest man in the world would be a champion for free speech and uh, a challenge Twitter in this way? It's a remarkable and wonderful uh, development. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Rick Morton. He's the Vice President of Engagement at Lifeline Child Children's Services. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Again, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So we talk about current global events, and let's start off with developments in Ukraine. So in Ukraine, uh, the story continues. The Russians are failing uh, continuously. The Ukrainian defense is holding up even on the east, where theoretically the Russians are concentrating their forces. They just don't have enough forces. Their soldiers aren't any good. Their equipment is old and not any good. Uh, And they're losing the war. I mean, it's straight out, the Russians will lose this war with Ukraine. It's not even a question. I mean, it's always a question, obviously. Things can happen. But uh, they're just going to lose the war. The Ukrainians are going to beat them. They're going to probably push them back out of back, back out of the, the small areas that they conquered until now. They're most likely going to be pushed out of by the Ukrainians, who will have a stronger army by the time this is all over. Uh, the Russians are having a hard time resupplying. They can't produce any more more weapons practically in Russia because they're dependent on Western parts. Um, and the Ukrainians are getting arms every single day. Uh, you know, planes are landing around the clock, bringing additional arms to the Ukrainians. I mean, I have to say that the Biden administration has done an excellent job. They've just, you know, they've walked this tightrope uh, and pushing it as far as they can without getting the Russians and, you know, getting into World War III with the Russians. Um, but they've managed to get a tremendous amount of assistance to the Ukrainians and get other countries to do as well. And um, the Ukrainians are unfortunately giving with their own blood, obviously. Um, but uh, it's working without American blood, without any other blood but the Ukrainians, which is terrible for the Ukrainians, but they're winning the war. So I understand uh, Blinken, Tony Blinken and uh, Austin visited uh, the uh, uh Zelensky yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't read read any follow-up on that. I didn't find out what happened. Any uh, report on that? Well, yes, there has been follow-up. The United States said it will start in stages reestablishing diplomatic diplomatic presence inside of Ukraine. They were doing it from Poland. It will start immediately with uh, day trips into into Lvov of U.S. US, uh, embassy of personnel, and they hope to reopen the embassy in Kiev in a relatively short period. They, of course, um, promised additional aid. Um, Secretary of Defense Austin made remarks that are considered somewhat controversial today after the visit, but are, I think, 100% accurate. The goal is to make sure that the Russian army remains weak and doesn't get the uh, and doesn't doesn't get stronger. Let's put it that way. Seems to me uh, the goal should be peace. I, I mean, I, if in fact Zelensky has the upper hand, as you say, which I believe he does, it seems to me he should be wanting to go to the. You know, right now he's got orphans, he's got uh, refugees out of the country, four million. Seems to me he'd have some motivation to meet with uh, with Putin and to get this you thing. You meet with a war criminal. Putin is a war criminal. Anyone who supports Putin is supporting a war criminal at this point. Uh, and he has no re- I mean, he's willing to meet as long as Putin is willing to remove his forces from Ukraine. People need to understand this. This is not a situation. Putin is a war criminal. 
Well, no, nobody's 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 suggesting he's not. I'm simply saying that uh, Zelensky, even though he's winning, has a lot to gain for his people. What does like, he have to gain? He has uh, to, lives to save. He has refugees to bring home. He has orphans but in order. Can, to, he can only do that if the Russians agree to withdraw. The Russians have that, made That's no, the point, Mark. This, that's the point of having these discussions. You can't have yeah, it. Yeah, the discussions have been ongoing, by the way. Uh, see, so the tell us about tell us about those discussions. And, and 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 the Russians. They've gone nowhere. Zelensky has mentioned many, many times he's willing to meet with Putin. Putin refuses. Uh, so, you know, it's all on Putin. Understand that. I mean, any trying, any attempt to frame this any other way is is mistaken. There's no way to frame this that doesn't that makes Zelensky the bad guy in any in any form or. A factor here. Well, how how is he being a bad guy by suggesting that he would want peace for his people? I I just uh, you he's know not, he's not being, he wants peace for his people. He said that he said that multiple multiple times. He said he's willing to meet with Putin multiple multiple times. He said he's willing to continue to meet despite all the atrocities that that Putin has 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 done. Yeah. So but, if he has the upper hand and and Putin's losing the war and uh, he but has Putin doesn't want to admit that he's losing. He can't admit that he's losing the war. Well, that seems to me uh, good negotiations could lead to some sort of a settlement on this. I, I think that's the so. In other words, it, the fight should continue until the last, <laughs> until until the, uh, you know, all, everybody's dead. I mean, I just don't understand that whole notion. No, I mean, listen, it'll continue until the Russian army is completely defeated. At this point, that's what's going to happen here. The Russian army will be a uh, will have been totally defeated. They have sent almost their entire army to face the Ukrainians. And they will have lost the war. They will have lost the overwhelming bulk of their armor. The Russian army will be defeated. Putin will be proven to be what he has always been, um, which is a um, tin pot dictator running a Potemkin state. Um, with and, with uh, thousands, with thousands of a, thousands. a rebalance in the geopolitical situation. Yeah, with uh, again thousands of nuclear warheads. So uh, yeah, he does have that. He does indeed. And what the hope would be. That Putin gets overthrown, and maybe, maybe it's a it's a thin hope, but it's still a hope that some sort of democracy comes to Russia. That will be the hope. Hmm. Um, you know whether it will happen. I don't know. The Russians don't have a long tradition of democracy. Let's put it that way. But but that would be the hope, and it's possible. And certainly, if he totally loses the war, it's going to be very hard to imagine a scenario where he can hang on to power. So the, um, the the Russians have, uh, I guess, they've got fleets uh, in the uh, Baltic Sea now. They, I don't know about. Can any report at all on what's happening with the Russian navy? They've moved to the center of the Baltic. You know, it's far away from the coast because they're afraid of of Ukrainian missiles, which makes their fleet kind of useless. I mean, they are sort of blockading from a distance Ukrainian ports. Um, but look, I mean, the the Russians. You know, people forget this. The Russians have no history of a success, successful naval history. There's no tradition of successful right. navy. They've had no naval successes in all of their history. The last major naval encounter was 1908 with the Japanese, and it was a complete defeat of the of the Russians. Um, so there's no there's no great history there of a strong navy. I mean, you, the Great Britain has a strong naval tradition. Even France, and of course, the United States certainly has one. They never did. Yeah. Um, and um, look, we saw the the haphazard way they uh, they attempted to defend their ship and unable to save it. They're, they're not a serious player in the naval warfare. 
Thank you, Mark. So let's move on to uh, the election results in France. So election results in France, despite a little bit of nail-biting, it turned out that Macron won handily with 58% of the vote versus 41% for Le Pen. Um, this, um, you know, this, this was an attempt by the far, far right in, in France to try to come to power. Le Pen has been trying over the decades to do so. What's interesting here is this is the first time in 20 years that the French have re-elected the president. Was the French have the habit, and that's part of the reason I think there was a certain momentum for Le Pen, is that the French have the habit of throwing, throwing out their president when they go for re-election. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time in 20 years that they re-elected a president of France. And, of course, they stopped Le Pen, who is practically a neo-Nazi. In, in any other terms, she would have tried to pull out of NATO. She would have pulled out of the EU. Um, she would have... Um, She's a friend of Putin. She's been financed by Putin. Um, and um, that would have been bad for the United States. Yeah. Leaving aside would have been bad for EU, but it definitely bad for the United States if Le Pen had won. Well, it doesn't sound like uh, the French had a, a good selection or a good choice there for, uh, with, with well, this. Well, they came with a second round, obviously. The, I mean, the, Macron is a centrist more than, you know, he's not a left wing. The left wing candidate didn't make it into the, into the runoff. Um, and so Macron is, is considered center-right, actually. Hmm. It's certainly not a left-wing left politician, um, but Le Pen was, you know, was, was pretty far to the right, and that's what happened. Uh, the French decided they weren't going to go with her. So which kind of uh, continues, in other words, maintains stability in France right now? It maintains stability. The French economy, that was the interesting thing again, it's one of those situations where the French economy was doing is doing very well. Its unemployment rate, I think, is about the same as the United States, 3.1, 3.3%, .3 of the lowest in French history. The economy has grown. Uh, they did reasonably well during COVID. Um, so there was no reason for it uh, to really, uh, you know, really change. Yeah. So... Interesting. We'll see. So, how's the uh, how's the uh, European Union doing right now? It, it, it there was on some thin ice there. You had the South, for example, Italy, and some of these countries that were draining resources or, or wanted to have drained resources and really couldn't uh, from uh, Germany and some of the northern countries. What's happening right now? Well, look, the, the war in Ukraine has strengthened the EU without a shadow of a doubt. It's strengthened the mutual um, dependency of the countries in the EU. It's shown some of the differences between them, obviously, because you know some are more dependent on Russian oil and Russian gas than others. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's brought the EU much closer together without a shadow of a doubt. Um, there was another election, by the way, um, in Slovenia, which was also uh, the right-wing anti-EU candidate lost, the current president, who is also... Um, friends with Putin uh, lost there as well, um, so that will also help strengthen and maybe pave the way for Slovenia to join the EU. Um, so the EU has been strengthened by the events. Um, you know, it always has. It's always a question whether they went too far in the creation of the EU with the same currency and everything else like that, and too much attempting to be like the United States as opposed to the you know the Confederation of. Uh, you know, they, they they had the model of the United States post Constitution, and they had the model of the state, the United States during the time of the Confederation, mm -hmm. um, which had its problems, as we know. Mm -hmm. And they went to the post Constitution, and of course, uh, there's more independent history in Europe than there ever was between the colonies. Yep, absolutely. And so, 
that's always been a challenge, and of course there's a language challenge that the United States never had. I mean, sometimes you know, Southerners and Northerners may have a hard time understanding each other, but they're speaking the same language just the same. So interesting. Um, so, so would so you I, would you say it's it's more uh, financially solvent than it was say ten years ago? I think so. I mean, I, look, the countries in Europe are all doing relatively well post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world economy is doing, you know, reasonably well. There are issues, obviously, and we'll get to the Chinese issue in a minute. But um, the fact of the matter is, the countries are doing are doing better. You know, when you get close to the precipice and you look over the edge and decide uh, you don't like what you see, sometimes you pull back and you know build build yourself a good fence near that precipice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more than anything else is what's happened in the terms of the EU. And I think that that's why the changes have occurred. And so I think uh, right now, you know, I wouldn't bet against the EU. Uh, if you would have asked me that, you know, five years ago, it might have been something else altogether. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you for that update. Is there still the tension between the South and the North? No, not as much anymore. I don't think that's that's really the case. You know, um, I don't think there's a North-South tension in the same way, way that it was. I think COVID sort of eliminated some of those tensions. And also, both the Greek and the Italian economies are doing fairly well. So it's really... Uh, you know, when economies are doing well, it's okay, you know, you, you can overcome any sort of tension. Right. It's only when the time gets gets tough and the South was doing poorly while the North was doing better. But that's not the case at the moment. So that tension isn't isn't really there. Okay, good. There's a little more tension between East and West. Some of the, you know, the Poland and, of course, Hungary and those issues. But those issues are more around uh, human rights, uh, free press and all of those things, and much less so against... Um, uh, much less so on the economic issues. Okay. Well, thank you for that up to date. Let's let's do you you brought up China. Let's move to China. What's going on? Okay. So we have a twofold situation in China. So clearly, the COVID lockdowns, which continue in China, uh, not quite as much, but but still, most of Shanghai is still locked down. Um, first of all, we're putting a tremendous burden on the Chinese. Uh, People, you know, themselves, it's still a problem of food. There's a problem of all sorts of related items. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is it's putting a further damper on the Chinese economy. And uh, they're rising down with the expectation of Chinese growth for this year, which was going to be a lot lower than it's been in historically over the last 20 years. And so now there's the question, you know, is uh, have we overestimated the Chinese threat um, in terms of the economy that they pre- they present, I mean, we we overestimated the Japanese threat 20 years ago. I'm sure you remember. Oh yeah, I'm sure that the Japanese were going to own America. Well, uh, they the growth that projected, if I'm not mistaken, is a bit over four percent, which is of course higher than the growth here in the United States. So, uh, on a comparative basis, you could say uh, compared to how they used to do, like 10 percent a year, that's uh, it's uh, slowed down substantially, but. Uh, uh, do you believe those numbers? Do you think they're actually growing at four percent? No, I think it's going to be lower. I mean, I, I heard a number now, but after I, I heard the number afterwards now of three point one percent, which I think is slower than the U.S. rate. Um, I think the U.S. is expected to grow at close to four percent this year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. I mean, the U.S. economy is doing um, extremely well at the moment, um, so we'll have to see. Um, the Chinese have, you know, the, the Chinese have to import their oil so that they're susceptible to those, those set of problems. Um, if they don't export, they don't earn money. If their factories are closed, it's a problem. And, of course, they have the situation of an over-leveraged um, real estate market, 
which is even more is becomes more problematic if the economy is in any sort of trouble because you start having a cascading effect of people not being able to afford the apartments they wanted to buy, even if even if there were people to buy them. And so you have all these factors at work. And let me let me add also, Mark, if I'm not mistaken, the fact they have this uh, they had this one child policy. They have a demographic disaster. Yeah, and because China and, and they have no immigration at all in China. No, no immigration and demographic disaster. Every single day, more Chinese retire than join the workforce. So that is a, a disaster um, just waiting to happen. Look, the United States has done so well over the centuries because of immigration. It's grown because of immigration. Immigrants anywhere in the world bring growth. One can argue about legal versus illegal and all those issues, but one can't argue the fact that immigration is good for a country's economy. Um, and, you know, the problems exist that there's a shortage of labor. There's a shortage of labor now in China. There's a tremendous shortage of labor here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and so immigrants usually solve those problems by being hands to, you know, to work, do jobs that other people don't want to do at a, at a, I don't know, a lower wage at this point, but at a competitive wage. So all those things, the Chinese have that problem. But the Japanese, certainly the reason, one of the major reasons the Japanese stopped growing was the fact that they went to negative growth 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the Japanese have absolutely no immigration. They've never had immigration. You cannot become a Japanese citizen, even if you were born in Japan, um, if you're not racially Japanese. Mm-hmm. So those policies are a disaster for these countries. Um, you know, look, maybe... Maybe all the workers will be replaced by robots, and it won't be that important. That's a real possibility. <laughs> yeah, twenty years from now. I don't um, think so. So, uh, so it does. I'm China, just saying it's a possibility. I didn't say it's going to happen. Is is China have a social welfare program? I'm, I'll, maybe we yes, speak. Yes, there's a strong social welfare program. It, you know, in terms of retirement, if medical care is free, all the things that you'd you'd expect from a former communist country, or from a you know from a Western European country. Uh, look, the United States is probably, I think, the only, or maybe there's one or two others, uh, Western industrial nations that doesn't have, for instance, a, um, uh, a comprehensive uh, free medical program for all of its, for all of its uh, citizens. So, um, you know, I'm not arguing the point, but that, that's just a fact. So China, China clearly has one, and it's considered relatively effective. You know, I still would rather be in Mount Sinai in New York than in the best hospital in Peking, but that's a different story. Yeah, as I understand it, though, the medical professionals in in uh, China are paid to keep you well, as opposed to take care of you when you're sick. Right. Well, over, listen, all of the um, systems that have a comprehensive plan all work at that. In other words, um, where I'm now in Israel, there they there are three uh, medical companies that compete with each other. They're basically huge HMOs, um, and they do all they can to make sure that you take your pills, to make sure that you get the screenings you need. All of those things, they push you, they make sure you do, they follow up with phone calls. They do everything they can to make sure you do all the preventive things that you can because it's cheaper for them to do all these preventive things mm-hmm. than to have to treat you in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the American system is, is backwards because you only get paid for, when, for acute situations by and large. And um, that's problematic. And if you know, it sounds like I think we lost Mark again, but this is just about time. Are you there? Oh, Mark, <laughs> I thought I lost you again. 
Well, in, in fact, our time is up. But I just generally appreciate your uh, commentary here on the show, Mark. Again, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the show, Mark. Have a great week, Bob. You as well, thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Rick Morton. He is the Vice President of Engagement at Lifeline Children's Services. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Rick Morton. He's the Vice President of Engagement at Lifeline Children's Services. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Rick. Tell us about Lifeline Children's Services. Uh, so Lifeline is a uh, Christian ministry that serves orphan and vulnerable children around the world uh, through adoption, foster care, family reunification work, education and counseling, and uh, global orphan care projects in 26 countries. It's an fa- amazing, amazing uh, mission, quite frankly. And you wrote a piece for Town Hall that's called I'm a Father to Three Ukrainian Children. Putin is robbing Ukraine's orphans of their hope for a better life. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, Bob. So our, our story with Ukraine goes back almost 20 years uh, when my wife and I adopted 
the first of our three children to come home from Ukraine. Um, honestly, 20 years ago, my, my joke is that I was a kid that went to public school, so I couldn't even find Ukraine on a map when all this started. Um, the truth is Ukraine didn't exist on a map <laughs> when it all right. started. Right. Um, but we, uh, we, we adopted from Ukraine uh, our son, who was 18 months old at that time. And that really just sort of opened the door for us to understand the needs of, of orphan and vulnerable children in Ukraine. And I think our preoccupation at that point became not necessarily the, the one child that we brought home, but the, the hundreds that we left behind and weren't able to see uh, placed into a home or, or provided permanence. And, and so over the years, I've had the opportunity to travel in and out of Ukraine to be there for extended periods of time. I've been to Ukraine over uh, 26 times, actually. We counted up at the, the beginning of the war. And uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, have just really come to, to love the Ukrainian people, have, have come to love their nation, their thirst for freedom. Uh, one of the things that I think people may not realize about Ukraine is uh, from the former Soviet Union perspective, that Ukraine is probably the freest and certainly with, with regard to religious freedom, uh, the freest state within the former Soviet Union. And so we have uh, poured into churches, trained church planners, uh, been involved in, in lots and lots of ways. But one of the things that has remained as a, as a theme in Ukraine is the, the, the vulnerable nature of children that are institutionalized. About 100,000 children uh, are, remain institutionalized, uh, deprived of family care. About 90% of those kids are actually social orphans. And, and so what that means is that they, they have parents, but for some reason, either because of addiction, indifference, poverty, their families are not able to care for them. And so they've been placed into the orphanage um, really just for food, clothing, and shelter type needs. Um, and, and so, Bob, anytime I think there's a conflict like what we see in Ukraine, those children are already vulnerable. Mm -hmm. and, and what we've seen now is about a quarter of the population of Ukraine has become vulnerable as a result of the war. They've either had to flee outside the country or, or they fled and and, and been displaced within the country. Uh, but these 100,000 kids are um, at the mercy of the state, not able to make decisions for themselves. They have no family looking out for their best interests. And, uh, and what we know is from what happened in Crimea back in 2013, if, uh, if, if Russia takes over, that will end the possibility of international adoption for, uh, for children that are in uh, Russian-held territory. That is such a touching story, and I can only imagine that number of 100,000 has grown. It's probably ballooned uh, since, uh, well, for all the refugees that have left and uh, to go to Poland and other places, can only imagine the dire straits of uh, many kids uh, right now in uh, these social orphans. It's just a very sad story indeed. So uh, you wrote a couple of books. One is Orphanology, Awakening to the Gospel-Centered Adoption and Orphan Care, and uh, No Orphans Mobilized the Church for global orphanology, uh, maybe you could tell us about those. Are they, in other words, is, will, will we learn more as a result of reason, reading those books? I think that my books really help to, to open up the idea of the church being a central point and a, and a central player in child welfare around the world. Um, you know, Bob, if we look at the scriptures, one of the things that we see is that 
God's people are always called to be active and to take the lead in in caring for what the Bible calls the fatherless or um, sometimes translated orphan. And, and, and I think over the years, we've seen as, as our society has changed and grown that the government has taken more and more responsibility for child welfare. Uh, and really, I think that in many ways, that's to the detriment of children. It's to the detriment of our society. And so really, what orphanology and no orphans are, are an encouragement to, uh, to churches in America and around the world to, to, to engage at deeper and deeper levels and, and really to sort of take back some of that ground that we've ceded to the government uh, by, by stepping in and, and being the effective agent. And I think anytime government comes in, the solutions are not always bad, but they're always bureaucratic. And, and they're, they're always um, at, at a scale and a complexity that doesn't slant toward um, really meeting the needs of individual children. When, when churches get involved in their community, churches are able to meet real people in real situations and and to to solve for for real needs and and so what i what i would encourage is if there are folks that are out there that are looking for a way to get get involved either in their own community or looking to to get involved on a global stage um, orphanology can really help thinking about that local presence uh, no orphans really focuses on um, work around the world and and what's happening around the globe and i would encourage folks if if you would, would like to get involved personally, or maybe you're connected to, uh, to a church that you would like to, to see your church be mobilized more effectively, uh, that's really kind of where my books come in. Well, I understand, Rick, and thank you for that, that approach. I will mention that locally we have an organization called Better Together. They do a fantastic job, and it's an alternative to foster care where families, because of crisis, where they're perhaps uh, al- alcohol addiction or uh, you know, some sort of financial crisis, loss of home, whatever it might be, uh, these uh, families, church families, will take in a child and uh, and take care of them until the family's back on its feet and able to take over the, the situation costing a lot less to the state, but also uh, being a lot more nimble and providing the services and love. And, and what happens as a result is that many times these families end up uh, mentoring the family that got into the situation in the first place and uh, ends up a, just a win-win-win for everybody involved. You know, Bob, not to, to chase a rabbit, but I think uh, one of the things that Lifeline's been involved in over the last um, seven or eight years is a program called Families Count, mm-hmm. where we work with churches to um, to intervene in the lives of, of birth families that have lost their kids into foster care. So for those kids that, that didn't have the privilege of something like Better Together, where there was an intervention before the state system became involved and before kids were um, either taken out of the home or in danger of being taken out of the home. Uh, we really focus on on helping the church be a bridge uh, because because honestly, we can do that work better right. than, and more effectively than the government can. I didn't and, realize. Uh, and, oh, I'm sorry, but what we've seen is just an, an incredible, uh, statistically, it bears out that um, that when churches in their community get involved in the lives of these at-risk families, um, kids go home and stay home. And, and so it's a great way to be able to partner with government to come alongside and to provide a service that uh, that is beneficial to the community, but but really in in a way that um, you know that kind of pulls us out of the the deep entanglement of of government in every you know every area of our lives. 
So, Rick, you have uh, three children adopted from Ukraine. I've got to imagine one of them's getting on to a college age or, or older. How are they doing? Well, you know, our kids, actually, our kids are, uh, our daughter is 26. Our son sons are, are 21 and 20. And so we're, you know, we're kind of rounding the corner on that empty nest at this point. I think what I would say is our, our kids are, are deeply grieved. Um, they all are processing the war very differently. They all have, um, you know, different ways of, of coping. Our daughter, for instance, has really, um, our 26-year-old has really dived into uh, raising funds and raising awareness for what's going on in Ukraine. She's using her voice in a in a very positive way, um, using her connections on social media and her connections in the community in order to be able to bring other people to the table and, and to really give a face and a voice to kids in Ukraine who don't have a voice and yeah. don't have a platform and don't have an ability to be able to, to advocate for themselves. Our, our sons are, are a little bit younger, a little bit uh, different circumstance. One of our sons has some pretty significant intellectual challenges. And, and so for him, uh, it, it's really uh, he, he's having trouble right now just um, embracing felt safety in general. Yeah. And so what the war's really kind of stirred up for him is a lot of a lot of questioning, a lot of worry, um, a lot of anxiety, because the things that he's seeing on television are things that are familiar to him. They're places that he recognizes and things that he's been a part of in his own life. And uh, and, and so for him, it's really surfacing a lot of the the trauma that he's experienced in his past. And, and I'll tell you, Bob, I think that's kind of the, the thing that we're, we're going to begin to talk about more and more as this drags on, yeah. uh, you know, today marks two months since the beginning of this conflict. And I think the, the story that's yet to be told is the, the dramatic impact that the war is having with regard to trauma on kids um, in, in the midst of, their growth and development. Yeah. And, and that ultimately is going to be something that's going to be a generational thing for the people of Ukraine. Um, and, and really part of the, it's part of the story of the reckless disregard of how Russia has, has approached this whole situation. Yeah, absolutely. Rick Morton, again, vice president of engagement at Lifeline Children's Services. Rick, is there a website? There is uh, lifelinechild.org is our website. If you go to lifelinechild.org right now, there'll be a pop-up box that'll pop up on our website. Um, so allow pop-ups on your browser. There'll be a pop-up that'll pop up there. It'll take you directly, if you click that link, take you directly to our page about Ukraine, where it talks about the relief efforts that we're a part of there, the partners that we're working with, and tells a little bit of the story of, of how you can get engaged to help uh, refugees and help those that are internally displaced within Ukraine by helping to, to provide food, clothing, and shelter to them uh, at a time when many of them have fled with nothing more than the clothes on their back. So, Rick, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope you have a great day. You as well. Thank you, Rick. All right, coming up, Jim McTigg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? 
Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, providing policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg. Jim, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, Bob. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jim. And I, I just want to point out, you're former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and you've written a couple of uh, great books. Your latest is called No Problem. It's a murder mystery. I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for writing the book. It's a, it's a sequel to the other two books that you've written, Follow the Leader and uh, Shake the Money Tree. Uh, how did you come up with the theme? Well, you know, the, uh, one of the, I, I pulled the uh, themes from the headlines. So, so one of the murders reflects the slaying of the uh, DNC workers uh, some years ago. Um, and, uh, and another murder is like a hit, involves a hit and run, which is an everyday occurrence in the Washington, D.C. area, unfortunately. Sure. So, so I, I draw everything from the headlines, and that's why so many members of Congress are, are the bad guys. Well, you certainly do paint some great pictures and some surprise endings. It's a great read. It's a real page-turner. And again, uh, Jim's latest book is called No Problem. I understand you're reading a little bit about what's happening in Hollywood. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Um, uh, the Democrats, if you read the left-leaning papers like I do, are always um, proclaiming that the Republican Party needs saviors to to bring it to the point of moderation. Um, and they never look at themselves, you know, except, uh, uh, except to call Joe Manchin some kind of a selfish uh, Republican in disguise. Right. And the, the point being that 
the Democratic Party needs a savior to bring it back to rationality. Um, and I think the number one piece of evidence is its fixation and dependence on Hollywood for contributions and support. So, so we have this Disney controversy in Florida um, with the with the bill that you don't teach kids in kindergarten through uh, third grade. Uh, you don't you don't try to um, indoctrinate them with uh, you know a sexual um, a, a, a sexual policy that that the major religions find abhorrent. Right. To put it bluntly, um, and the Democrats don't don't get that the public has had enough with Hollywood. Uh, the evidence is everywhere. I mean, uh, the Oscars was the second worst showing in, in history. If you look at uh, movie attendance, even with COVID restrictions going out the uh, window, uh, hardly anybody is going to the movies except, you know, really young kids watching uh, superhero movies. Um, if you look at uh, CNN Plus, you know, the, the cable subscription, CNN is, a, is an arm of uh, Hollywood. Uh, they've lost subscribers. Netflix is losing subscribers. You know, what's going on here? The public has had it with Hollywood trying to shove a anti-Christian agenda mm-hmm. down its throat. So, uh, so what do we have the Democrats doing? Well, last week, Kamala Harris is at a fundraiser at the home of two Disney executives, uh. 30 people in attendance, raising a million dollars and preaching how things look great for the Democratic Party going in, onto the midterms because they are on the right side of so many issues. So I just find that so laughable. Yeah. The, uh, Ron Klain just, just said that he said that uh, uh, Macron just won the election in spite of a 38% approval rate. <laughs> So he thinks there's some sort of encouragement there for uh, Joe Biden. Uh, things are so much different there than here. But my goodness, uh, you're, it just seems to me that the Democrats are just totally out of touch with the American people. Yeah, uh, you know, it pains me, too, because I think um, in the um, marketplace for ideas, you need two healthy political parties. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't it doesn't help to have uh, the woke people taking over the Democratic Party. It, in my view, and you're going to differ with me on this. I think uh, having too many Trump people in the Republican Party is a negative too. You need you need debate. Uh, you know, all sides have to have a voice in the party, and uh, you can't villainize people who have a different opinion than you. You know, you, you, you listen to what they have to say, and then you try to hammer out uh, a resolution, an agreement, and, and go forward from there. Yeah. So, uh, I, I will say yeah. this, though, in terms of uh, uh, the Trump people, I mean, I think uh, if we could agree, everybody could agree that we want America to be great and we want to make America great again and and, new, and can uh, affirm the fact that that's what we want. And we may dis- disagree on how we go about doing that. But it seems to me anybody who doesn't agree with that, I'm not sure I want to listen to them. Yeah, no, I, I think everybody wants America to be great. I just think it would be greater if we had two strong uh, parties um, I, I, that that were not captive of any 
one faction. I would agree with that. Again, I want to just uh, highlight Jim's book. It's called No Problem. Jim McTagg, M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob, and I'm not going to watch any movies today. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Jim. All right. Well, that's a uh, wrap here on today's show. I hope you'll uh, tune in tomorrow. We've got some great guests lined up for you. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Always uh, appreciate your letting your friends know if you enjoy the show. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.